Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. How are we doing? It's good to see you. My name is Todd. I'm one of the pastors here at the Summit. And we are in week number three of our series, Killing What's Killing You. I want to let you know, Pastor Mel is out of town. He's in Oklahoma with his mom this weekend. Uh, This is uh, his dad's birthday. And so this is the first year that Mel's mom has spent this day without Mel's dad. And so he thought it would be a good thing for him to go and to be with his mom. And so that's where he is this morning. But I get the honor and the privilege of opening God's word with you. And continuing this series, Killing What's Killing You. And so last week, Pastor Mel talked about worry. And this week, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about hurry. Uh, I don't think next weekend will rhyme. I'm not real sure. Um, All I could think of was furry. And uh, so if you're really allergic to your cat, just get rid of it and that'll fix that. Um, uh, But uh, but we're going to talk about hurry this week. In in the year 1970, um, I was not quite born yet, um, but there was a Broadway musical that year called 70 Girls 70. And uh, there's a song from that show, uh, and the lyrics of it simply say this, the trouble with the world today is plain to see. It's coffee in a cardboard cup. And uh, that's probably an overstatement and an oversimplification of what's really eating at us. But I think it's also a really astute observation of how that hurry has actually taken something from us. Uh, How in our busyness we've lost something that's fundamental and valuable to our well-being and to our souls. Uh, Gardner Merchant is a Um, commercial caterer in the UK and they work with uh, like large corporations doing food service and that kind of thing or they provide uh, like food bars and gyms and things like that and so they started doing a study to see how they could best serve their clients who seemed to be you know movers and shakers and there were people who were always on the go and that kind of thing and so they're like how can we serve them best what ways can we you know make this convenient and make it quick and easy for them so that, you know, we can serve them well as a food service provider. And so they started doing this kind of multi-tiered study across all of the people that they served. And over the course of their study, they identified something that they called hurry sickness. And hurry sickness is defined like this. They called it a behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness. An overwhelming and continual sense of urgency. Uh, And if that didn't sound bad enough, they've also defined it like this. A malaise in which a person feels chronically short of time and so tends to perform every task faster and to get flustered when encountering any kind of delay. Does that sound familiar? If it doesn't sound familiar, just think back to that time a couple of days ago when uh, there was somebody who was driving slow in front of you and you were like, come on! Or when you pulled up, uh, when you pulled up to the red light, and I know all of you are looking at the cap of my water bottle, because I am too. So, 
Um, but when you pull up to the red light and there's three cars in this line and two cars in this line and you get behind the two cars because you think I can get there faster if I get behind those two cars. So if it doesn't sound familiar, it should. Actually, a recent study uh, that was um, published in USA Today revealed that the vast majority of Americans feel they are busier this year than last year. And they were busier last year than the year before that. And for better or for worse, the pace of life is speeding up and making us feel like we are trapped in a time crunch. And lest we dismiss that and just think that that's a minor thing and it's just the way that things are, that pace actually is dangerous, not just for our souls, but for our physical bodies as well. We weren't meant to endure continual stress. Our bodies respond to stress by releasing chemicals into our system, uh, like cortisol and uh, adrenaline. And those chemicals were designed, right? Our body releases them. They're, they're there and they have good purpose. Uh, but when our body releases them, it's supposed to release them uh, in response to an imminent threat. So if I am being attacked by an animal or if there is some imminent danger to one of my children or there's something that I need to escape from, then your body releases those chemicals and adrenaline will give you a boost of strength and it increases your awareness and your high, you know, they're, they're good things when they are used in their proper context. But continual stress and living hurried and anxious and the way that our culture kind of pushes us to live releases those chemicals into our bodies all the time. And so what happens is our, it causes our blood pressure to spike and then eventually your blood pressure will actually stay high and that begins to wear on the muscles of your heart and it begins to do damage to your body, not to mention the effects of it emotionally and psychologically on us. We become irritable and we become easily angered and we get upset, maybe even sometimes to the point of weeping from frustration and exhaustion. Again, does it sound familiar. And so we travel through life at this kind of breakneck pace, thinking that that's normal. All the while we are distracted and disconnected from each other. We are distracted from and disconnected from what's going on in our souls. And we are distracted and disconnected from the voice of God. I started to feel the effects of this a while back. I mean, really, I was feeling it. Uh, I, I went through a period where I just was, I was tired and I was uh, irritable and I was restless in my heart and in my soul. It was, I didn't really feel a ton of physical effects. It wasn't like I was having heart trouble or anything like that. Uh, but I started to feel it in my soul and it just, I felt worn thin. I felt worn out. My, I'll be honest, probably like my, uh, some of my insecurities were getting the better of me. I was just not feeling good. I was not feeling healthy. I was not feeling like I was, I just, I felt sick in my soul. You know, does that make sense? 
And it was December of 2018, and I remember it because we were getting ready uh, at the start of every year, uh, in January of every year, as a church, we do 21 days of prayer and fasting to start the year. And, and, uh, and so as I was preparing for that, I was asking the Lord what he wanted me to set aside for that time. What, what, you know, is there something in particular that I need to fast? Is there, you know, I was looking at maybe, okay, do I need to fast some meals or do I need to set aside technology for that period of time? What is it that you want? me to do. And as I was doing that, I was also asking the Lord, Lord, what's your word for me for, for 2019? Uh, you, you guys know we do this as a church as well. Like this year, for example, Pastor Mel said, you know, terra, terra incognita, he felt like was the word for us this year, which is Latin for unknown territory, that God was taking us into places that we hadn't known before and hadn't seen before, kind of off the map, off the beaten path. But I was, so I was praying as in, you know, individually, like, God, what is your word for me for 2019? What is it that I need to orient my life around? What is it that I need to focus on? What is it that you're trying to do in me? And I just, as I continued to pray and seek God, I felt like the word that kept going over and over in my mind was wait. And I just couldn't get away from it. Wait. And, uh, and so as I was considering what that might be, I, I, I thought, well, what can I do to force that kind of waiting into my routine? What can I do to change what I'm doing so that I can get still before God, so that I can wait on the Lord? And so I made this change. Um, every morning when I get up, as for as long as I can remember, I say as long as I can remember, I didn't do this when I was a kid. I didn't start drinking coffee until college, but, uh, but at least since college, right? Since my, all of my adult life, uh, I get up every morning and I make coffee and uh, I, I grind up fresh beans and I French press it. It's wonderful and beautiful and glorious. Um, and so, um, but I get up every morning and I make coffee and then I, immediately I would pour that coffee into a travel mug, I put the lid on it, and then I can, I'm off to the races. I'm off to the first thing on my list for the day. And so as I was considering what I could do to kind of... Um, change this rhythm and get out of this kind of cul-de-sac of stupidity that hurry becomes in our lives. I, as I considered what I might do to get out of that, I began to do this. Every morning I would still get up and I will make my coffee and this is my habit even now. Um, and instead of putting it into a travel mug, I will pour it into a regular spillable coffee mug. So even if I'm walking through the house, I have to slow down, right? Because if I don't, I'll spill it. But I pour my coffee into my coffee mug, and then I go and I sit at the dining room table, and I open up my Bible, and I just begin to drink that coffee slowly. And it's a completely different experience than a travel mug, right? Because a travel mug is insulated. You don't feel the heat on the outside of the mug. It, the, it doesn't, you know, the temperature doesn't change. Like as you drink the coffee down in a regular mug, the coffee cools. And there's a whole, like th there's this whole connection to the passage of the moments of the time that's there. The steam rises off of the coffee and the smell is different because there's no lid on it. Just all of that. It's a very tactile experience. And so I'm connected to that moment as I drink that coffee and I'm quiet in those moments and no one else is awake. I get up early enough that no one else is awake in the house and it's just me and Jesus at the table as I drink that coffee. And something really beautiful began to happen. 
Right? I begin again to notice, as I said, the, the passage of time. The coffee kind of becomes a, a, an hourglass, as it were, right? And, and, and the temperature of the mug changes and you, you realize how precious those seconds and minutes are. And, uh, you know, since I'm a pastor, I probably shouldn't admit this because you're going to think, well, you're not nearly as spiritual as we thought you were, Todd. Um, but um, as I began to make that a practice in my mornings, it would just be 15 or 20 minutes most of the time that I sat there to drink my coffee. But as I stilled myself before the Lord, as I quieted my spirit, and as I said, Lord, nothing is more important than being with you in these moments. There is nothing on my to-do list that will not wait until later. The world will not stop spinning because I have sat still. And as I made that an intentional practice and quieted my spirit before the Lord, the only word I can use is shocked, really, honestly. Maybe I shouldn't have been, but I was shocked at how in those 15, 20 minutes, how often and how clearly I began to hear the voice of the Lord. And so what I want to say to you this morning is that hurry is killing us. And that the only way we're going to stem the tide of that hurry and that busyness is just to get off the merry-go-round. And I want to talk to you this morning about three things that stillness is and what it does in us. Because I think the remedy for hurry is not getting more stuff done, but it's, it's just slowing down and recognizing that all of the things on our list, well, they can wait. So I want to talk to you this morning about stillness and what it means for us. And there are some things that I, I think that I've learned in this waiting that I want to share with you. And so if you'll turn with your, in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, uh, we're going to read verses 38 through 42. This will probably be a familiar passage of Scripture to a lot of you, but to some of you it, it may be brand new. Uh, so that's okay because we're going to read it together and so then everyone will be on the same page. So Luke chapter 10 verse 38 is where we'll start reading. It says, As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. Does that not seem like the most awkward moment ever to you? It does to me. I mean, imagine that you're at somebody's house. They've invited you over for dinner. And uh, maybe the wife is in the kitchen and she's getting everything ready and you're going to have dinner and this, the husband's in the, the living room with you and you're having a conversation and all of a sudden the wife walks into the living room. And, but instead of going, hey, sweetheart, can you come and help me with something for just a minute? She looks at you, right? And she goes, don't you think it's unfair that he gets to sit here and talk to you while I'm in there slaving away? Tell him to get up and come and help me. 
But that's what Martha does to Jesus. I just, I don't, you know, I don't know. Maybe you don't think about that, but I think that is like the most awkward thing ever. Uh, I probably would not have handled it nearly as well as the Lord did, but that's why he's the Lord. And so the Lord says to her, dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Catch that. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. And Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Here's the thing, guys. The world will always put demands on your time. There will always be something else to do. There will always be another task to put on your list. There will always be someone or something that wants your attention, that is vying for your time, even if it is something as simple as that Instagram feed that simply will not wait. There is always something and that will be vying for and putting demands on your time. We can't get away from it. The world that we live in, I mean, things break. There is, I mean, things, things wear down. There is always something else to be done. There is, there's always another day with a new job and a new thing to do. There will always be demands put on our time. And the thing that happens is because those things are right in front of us, because they are immediate and urgent, at least we perceive them as urgent, we begin to prioritize those things over stillness and silence and solitude and time with Jesus. See, here's the thing. The things that Martha was busy with in our, in our text today, they weren't illegitimate things. In fact, the scripture describes it as serving Jesus, right? And so here she is, she's serving Jesus, she's making dinner for him, she's making room for him in her home, she's welcoming him, she's being hospitable. And even in our culture, we understand how important it is when you have somebody at your house, you know, you want to you wanna make them feel welcome, you know, all that kind of stuff. But in this culture, it was para, of paramount importance. Like they lived in an agrarian culture, and so they were absolutely dependent on whatever grew out of the ground outside their home, right? Like whatever they could grow, that's what they had. And so if it was a lean year, they really didn't have much to eat. And so to invite someone into your home and to share your food with them was a big, big deal. It would be like if I invited you over and I was like, hey, I'm going to give you half my paycheck this week. And so for them to have Jesus in their home was a big deal. And, and Martha was serving him. She wanted, she wanted him to know how much she loved him. She wanted him to know how welcome he was in their home and how much they appreciated him. So they're good things. And often the things that we are busy with, the things that we are engaged with, they are not illegitimate things. That job that you have, you, it, it's important. It provides for your family. It's an important thing. That, that you know, whatever your list may be, it's not that those things are illegitimate. It's just that we get them out of order. The culture we live in even celebrates busyness. Like if you ask somebody how they're doing, man, really often the response will be, oh, you know, we're busy. 
Man, I'm busy. And we wear that as if it's a badge of honor, as if somehow we are validated as people if we are busy. And, and so, and then alongside that, right, we have technology now, which has enabled and, uh, you know, our, our busyness to an unhealthy degree. It used to be that when you went home from work, you left work there because you couldn't take it home. But now we can work from anywhere. And, and we do. We work all of the time. And this technology, which promises to make us more productive and help us to do more in less time, has made us busier than ever. I remember when I was a kid, you know, they would do those, uh, you talk about the future in school, like all these things that are going to be possible in the future, you know, flying cars and whatever else. But I remember that they would talk like we would have so much free time in the future that we won't even know what to do with it. Anybody else remember when they would talk like that? Like, man, the, the machines are just going to do everything and we'll press a button and our homes will be automated. You remember the Jetsons? Like, you know, you just push the button and pull dinner out of the thing. And, you know, they, but that's, that's the picture of the future that they gave us, that technology is going to free up all of this time and we're not even going to know what to do with all the time that we have. But technology has only really served to make us busier than ever because it... It places demands on us all the time. That notification that goes off and that email that just can't wait. And, that and on top of that, there's actually a chemical cycle in our brain. Our brain releases dopamine when those little notifications come through. And that's why you find yourself looking at your phone even when there's not a notification because you're going, man, I need a notification. Why, why hasn't anyone texted me? Why hasn't anyone snapped me? Why is it, you know? So the only way to stem that tide, the only way that we can overcome this hurry sickness that seems to be an epidemic around us is by intentionally slowing down. And that's the first thing that I want you to remember about stillness this morning is this. Stillness is an act of resistance. Stillness is an act of resistance. It is an intentional removal of ourselves from the patterns and the, and the culture of the world and into the rhythms and patterns of the kingdom of God. It's saying to our bodies and in our bodies that all that is pushing against us or pulling at us will wait. It is reminding ourselves that nothing is more important than slowing down to spend time with Jesus, to center ourselves, to focus on him and to learn from him. Again, the things that Martha was doing to serve the Lord were good things, but Jesus said that Mary had chosen the better thing. This is not something that Jesus was unfamiliar with. In fact, in Mark chapter 6, verses 30 and 31, Jesus uh, and his disciples, the crowds had really, they'd been, the crowds were around them and they were putting demands on Jesus. There were people who wanted to be healed. There were, he had just fed 5,000 people, right? All of that kind of stuff. And the crowds were pressing in and following them. And, and it says this in Mark chapter 6, verse 30 and 31. It says, Jesus said, he's talking to his disciples, let us go by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. 
And the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour, told him all that they had done and taught. How many of you have ever experienced that, right? You get to the end of a long, busy day and you go, man, I didn't even have time for lunch today. So Jesus experienced that same kind of thing and he knows what that's like. And what was Jesus' response to this kind of busyness and hurriedness? Was it, hey guys, let's, let's, let's hurry up and serve all these people so then we can go rest. No, he says, hey, Let's get out of here. Let's go by ourselves to a quiet place and rest. And look, why did he say that? Because there were so many people coming and going. Things were so busy and hectic that Jesus goes, we've got to step back from this for a little while. This is not good. And I would submit to you this morning and to myself that if, if that kind of rhythm and that kind of pattern, that kind of intentionality in pulling back from the busyness and resting and finding quiet, if, the, if, if Jesus, the Son of God himself, found that to be important and necessary, how much more so should it be for us? And it is an act of resistance against the tides of the world, it is an act of resistance against the prevailing culture and against the rhythms and patterns that it tries to push us into. Mark actually, more than any other gospel, uh, notes that this was a habit for Jesus. There are several times when it says early in the morning Jesus got up and went away to a desolate place or to a solitary place to pray. Dwight Eisenhower, our former president I like Ike. Um, man, no, nothing. You guys, nothing. Um, all right, but Dwight Eisenhower, when he was the commander of the Allied Forces in World War II, was asked about his strategy as a commander and how he made decisions. And he said this, he said, what is important is seldom urgent. And what is urgent is seldom important. And he said that that also uh, informed his thinking process as president when he got into office. And man, that's such a good thing for us to remember too. What is important is seldom urgent. You see, that, that quiet time in my morning, that 15 minutes with my coffee mug in my hand, it doesn't seem urgent. Right? In fact, it's not urgent. Like it's not, there's no rush to do it. But it is one of the most important things I do all day. And those things that seem really important, that have the most value in my life, like spending time with my kids, cultivating my relationship with my wife, all those things that are really important, well, there's not urgency in those. In fact, there's, there's something life-giving in those things, right? Um, so, Number one, stillness is an act of resistance. Number two, stillness is an act of respect. And what I mean by that is it's an act of obedience. It is a surrendering and a submitting of ourselves to the things that God has said are important, to the things that God has said are good, to the things that God has prescribed for us to do the way in which he has prescribed for us to live. You see, even when it feels like there are things that cannot wait, 
prioritizing stillness and silence and solitude with Jesus is an act of respect. It's an act of obedience, and it's an acknowledgement of his worth, of his way, and of his sovereignty over those things that seem to be so urgent. So there's this scene in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Saul is the, the king of Israel at this time. And the, the armies of Israel have just won a great battle over one of their enemies. And there are a lot of spoils uh, from this war, from their victory, including a lot of livestock. And the men in the armies of Israel, they want to make a sacrifice of some of these animals to the Lord to honor him for the victory that, they've give, they, that he's given them. Well, at that time, the only person who was supposed to sacrifice to the Lord was Samuel, the prophet and priest over Israel. Saul, as king, was not supposed to do that. But Samuel wasn't there yet. He was on his way to where the armies were, but he wasn't there yet. And Saul, in his haste and in his hurry did things out of order, and he made a sacrifice to the Lord. And then Samuel, a little later, gets there, and he's like, hey, what, what did you guys do? What's, what's going on? And Saul said, you know, he throws it off on the army, right? He's like, oh, well, the men, uh, they really wanted to make a sacrifice to the Lord, and they didn't want to have to wait on you, and so we made sacrifice, and really it's their fault. But Samuel responds to that, and he says this in 1 Samuel 15, verse 22. Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. And so what Samuel is saying to Saul, and really by extension what he's saying to us, is all of the things that you are doing, all of the ways in which you want to be able to offer these, look, look, Jesus, what I did for you. I've made sacrifice for you. I've worked my fingers to the bone for you. I've done this. And Samuel says to Saul, what value is that without obedience? Obedience is better than sacrifice. I'll be honest with you, for me, like, I, I, can, I can have a tendency to think, man, in these moments like this, when I'm preaching or when I'm up here leading worship, and man, I am really, God must really be pleased with me right now. I must really be valuable to Jesus right now. Look, God, what I did for you. But here's the thing. Scripture tells us that God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. God doesn't call us to serve him because he needs something from us. He could shout from the heavens and make himself known at any moment if he wanted to. I mean, the scripture talks about how he could raise up from rocks sons of Abraham. When God calls us into the work that he's doing in the earth, it's it's for our good. It's so that we can share in the joy that he has in seeing lives transformed. And so we can experience the love and the joy and the peace of the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't need it from us. We don't add value to God with the things that we have to offer him. What God wants from us is our heart. 
And there is no greater indication of when our heart is given to someone than when we're just willing to be with them. To spend time with them. To listen to what they have to say. And so stillness is an act of resistance. Stillness is an act of respect. And lastly, stillness is an act of restoration. When Jesus wanted to get away from the demands of the crowd, from the verse that we read in Mark chapter 6, he and his disciples hadn't even had time to eat, right? The world will wear you down. These bodies get tired. We can't maintain the kind of pace that the world pushes us toward. And in fact, this pressure and this hurry that we feel is the perfect recipe for distracting us from the more important things, from distracting us from Jesus, from distracting us from the voice and presence of God, from the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so we're tired in our bodies and we're tired in our souls and stillness is an act of restoration. Psalm chapter 23, verses one through three, or really Psalms doesn't have chapters, it's one of my pet peeves, it's Psalm 23. Um, because they're songs. Anyway, uh, I digress. Uh, But uh, Psalm 23, uh, verses one through three, says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams, or in the King James Version, which is what I learned as a kid, right? He leads me beside still waters. He renews my strength, or again, from the King James, he restores my soul. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. The most beautiful thing that I have found in my stillness before the Lord is just how the just how beautifully peaceful, how restorative it is, and how it reframes and refocuses all of the things that I have on my list for that day. Like they, they take their proper perspective in those moments and I feel strengthened and ready. And in fact, I found that uh, when I take the time to be still before the Lord, that I can get more of those things done in less time than I did when I just hit the ground running and wasn't focused and ready for the day ahead. See, the issue of hurry isn't just a matter of needing to have better habits. It's not about better time management, although that can be important. But it speaks to whether or not we trust that God is who he says he is. Whether or not we will trust him, whether or not we will live in obedience to his word, and whether or not we will give him control of our time. The hurried pace that we live at and that the world is pushing us toward, it's not just It's not just that it's a bad idea, it's sin. Because it is a willful disobedience to what we know God has said we ought to do. And scripture tells us that when a man knows to do good and doesn't do it, it's sin. So not only that though, not only is it just the neglect of a good thing, but it leads to so many other sinful patterns in our lives. 
We get angry and irritable and we lash out at people and we're so distracted by our busyness and the next thing on our list that we fail to recognize the needs of the people around us and we are unavailable to to be the hands and feet of Jesus to people who are in need because we are so in a hurry to get to the next thing. But if we begin to engage in the spiritual disciplines, and in particular as we're talking about stillness today, we begin to be conformed to the patterns of heaven. You know, these bodies, they, they, we like get in, we get in rhythms, right? Uh, I'm a, you know, I play guitar. Um, I'm not a great player, but I've been playing long enough at this point that when I'm leading worship, I can sing and play guitar at the same time, and I don't even really think about what my hands are doing, right? It just does it because it's ingrained in your muscles, your muscle memory as we talk about it, right? And so I can do that at this point because I've been doing it for such a long time. And our bodies get into all kinds of habits and patterns like that. Like you stand a certain way or, you know, there are certain habits that you have, like maybe you tug on your ear or you twirl your hair or it just is ingrained in who you are and what you do. And our bodies get into that pattern and get into those rhythms. And it, it extends to far more than just whether or not, you know, I can play guitar. It, they get ingrained into everything that we do. Uh, for example, if you want to be great at hitting a fastball, we understand that it takes hours and hours of batting practice and coaching and readjustments to become great. Or musicians, you know, like I said, with, you know, it takes hours of practice and, and to develop that skill. And our bodies do the same thing in all kinds of other ways. And the interesting thing is that we kind of seem to have this perception that following Jesus should be easier than hitting a fastball. And so we neglect the spiritual disciplines in our lives. And here's the, here's the problem with that. The spiritual disciplines, again, it's not about what we can give to God or how we can show him how devoted we are. God gave us the disciplines as a gift. And what the spiritual disciplines do is that they replace the patterns and sinful habits of our bodies with the rhythms and patterns and habits of the kingdom of heaven. And so I want to say to you today that it is of vital importance that we take the teachings of Jesus seriously and that we engage what it means for us to live in the, within the spiritual disciplines. We don't often think of it this way, but the outcome and the outgrowth of disciplines in our lives is freedom and joy. And again, it works in the natural. I am free to play guitar and sing at the same time because it has become ingrained, it's become second nature to me. And the spiritual disciplines develop those same patterns in our physical bodies as it relates to the kingdom of God. It's really not, it's not a matter of your salvation Jesus, when he, he, you know, he said to his disciples, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And the Apostle Paul talks about this actually in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. And we'll wrap it up um, after this, guys. But Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 9. Don't you realize that every race, but that in a race, everyone runs? 
but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing, right? So he's saying this is not, this is not a game to me. I discipline my body. Notice that. He's not saying I discipline my spirit. He said I discipline my body, right? It's about these fleshly bodies that we have to bring under submission and bring into discipline and obedience to Jesus, so he says, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. And as the preacher this morning, I pray, God forbid that that be the case. I mean, let me show you something this morning. And we'll close with this. You guys were wondering what that was all about, right? I bring the party. Um, <clears throat> Y'all knew I was full of hot air. But if I take this balloon and I blow it up, right, and then I, I let it go, it falls, right? The reason that that balloon falls is because the atmosphere inside that balloon is the same as the atmosphere in the room. But if I take that same balloon and I fill it with what's in that tank and I let it go, It rises. Yeah, there's another one up there from last service. You guys are all staring. <laughs> the one from last night came down by this morning, so they won't stay forever. Um, but if I let that balloon go, it, it rises. It escapes the atmosphere of this room. And in fact, if that roof wasn't there, it would continue to rise. Right? Most of us are going through life with the same atmosphere on, a, on the inside of us as we are surrounded by. We have fallen into the patterns of the world without even a second thought. And it's, there's no condemnation in that. Again, these bodies get used to these rhythms. And it seems like it's the, I mean, it's what everyone else is doing. And so we just fall into lockstep with that. But the end result of that is that like the balloon that I blew up with my lungs, it just falls flat. We don't overcome. We don't rise above. We don't, do, we don't see the victory that God has provided and promised for us because the atmosphere on the inside is the same as the atmosphere on the outside. But what the disciplines will do, what stillness and quiet in the presence of God listening to his voice will do is that it will begin to fill us with the atmosphere of heaven and then we are able to rise and we are able to overcome and can I tell you this morning that the promises of God's word are not just nice little platitudes or words of hope that are empty and will maybe only be fulfilled in eternity but the presence and the anointing and the spirit of God and the voice of heaven is ours today if we will take Hold of what God has given us, the tools and the 
the wonder and the beauty of relationship that he makes available to you and to me. I told you guys that I can fall into the trap of thinking that it's when I do this stuff that God is most pleased with me. One of the most beautiful things that this practice of stillness has done for me is when I'm just sitting, not doing anything. I don't have anything to to say, look, Jesus, what I, what I made. <laughs> I'm just there, just me and the Lord. And I hear the voice of the Lord whisper to me, I love you. Some of you need that so desperately to hear that the Lord loves you, not because of what you can do, not because of what you have to offer him, not because you're good enough or smart enough or strong enough, but just because you are his. And the only time you're going to hear that and receive it without some, something to taint it, honestly, is when we, with intent, do nothing. <laughs> Just be with Him. And there's so much more that comes out of that. It begins to overflow into the rhythms of your life. It begins to give you a centeredness and a peace, right, that He promised. A peace that passes understanding. and sustains us through our days and we find ourselves more connected and aware and so there's some things I, I want to encourage you to do this week um, these are just some easy little practices that you can do to begin to slow and to practice stillness even in small moments number one maybe have your coffee in a regular mug like I did man that's it's been beautiful for me and maybe that'll be helpful for you Number two, get in the long line at the grocery store and don't look at your phone while you're waiting. Be aware of the people around you and, and just go, Lord, the extra five minutes I might wait in this line is, is not gonna, you're, you're gonna still hold the world in your hands <laughs> for those five minutes. Um, drive the speed limit. It is incredible how slow the speed limit feels. Um, if, if there's that one person that's driving 20 miles per hour in, in the 45 mile per hour zone when you want to be doing 55, uh, just get behind them and just enjoy the, enjoy the pace. Sit in silence for 15 minutes each morning and just listen. Um, walk more slowly. Uh, I, I notice often when I'm walking with my family that before I even recognize it, I'm three or four paces ahead of them. And so I'm trying to be aware and intentional about walking with them instead of ahead of them. And by the way, I think that that's what we do to the Lord a lot of times. What is, what is, what is our biggest complaint to the Lord often? Why haven't you done it yet? Why am I having to wait 
Lord, when are you going to? And I think oftentimes we're just running out ahead of Jesus. We just need to slow down and walk with him. Uh, and, then, and then maybe do one task at a time instead of trying to multitask. Uh, I'll let you in on a little secret. Your brain is actually not wired to multitask. When we try to do too many things at once, we just do a bunch of things poorly rather than one thing really well. And, uh, and it, it, we end up with ADD, ADHD, fractured brains that can't focus on things for any length of time. So... Um, you can be creative and make up your own, but those are just some things I would encourage for you this week to begin to press these rhythms into your life, to discipline these bodies like an athlete, right? So that they do what they ought to. Begin to kill what's killing us because doing this is an act of resistance. It's an act of respect. It's an act of restoration. And, and lastly for us this morning, it can be an act of repentance, where we say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for putting too much faith in my ability and not trusting in you. Forgive me, Lord, because I've neglected and I've set aside the things that you said are important and the things that you said will bring me life. I've set aside the things that you have said are honoring to you and I have done what I felt was right. Forgive me. Let's bow our heads together. Lord, forgive us this morning. God, these, these bodies that we live in, uh, they fall into patterns and rhythms. And Lord, sometimes we have thoughtlessly fallen into the patterns and rhythms of the world and we have lived in a hurry. We've lived anxious, harried, hurried lives, distracted from your presence, distracted from your voice, disconnected from the people around us and disconnected from what's going on in our souls so that we neglect to allow you the room to heal and to shape and to mold us and make us like Jesus. So Lord, forgive us. Do your work in us. God, I pray that there would be a work of restoration in these friends this morning as they begin to practice these rhythms and to practice what it means to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would, keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a minute. Maybe you're here this morning and... Uh, and you're not a follower of Jesus. You're not a Christian today. And what I would say to you is that I want to invite you into these rhythms today, into this, what it means to follow Jesus and to live in surrender and submission to him. And, and, and so if that's you today and you say, you say, Todd, I, man, I, I need this peace that you're talking about today. I feel deeply in my soul today that Jesus is calling me into this life with him, into this rhythm of the kingdom of heaven. And so Todd, I wanna give my life to God today. If that's you, if you'll just raise your hand where you're sitting, I'm not gonna embarrass you or call you forward or anything like that. I just want the opportunity to pray with you 
Um, and so if that's you, say, Todd, I wanna give my life to God today. Could you just raise your hand right there where you're sitting? Let me see where you are. All right, so here's what I'd like to do. If you're, whether you raise your hand or not, uh, if you're here in the room or if you're joining us online today, I want you to pray this prayer. Uh, everyone in the room, I'd like you to pray this prayer along with us this morning. Say, dear Jesus, I give my life to you. Thank you for inviting me into your kingdom. And thank you for making a way on the cross for my sin to be forgiven. Today, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sin. And from this day forward, I give my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if, if you prayed that prayer for the first time today, whether you're here in the room or whether you're watching online, it would be our distinct honor and privilege to begin to walk that journey with you, to help you to discover what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to put some tools in your hands to enable you to do that uh, and to grow in your faith and to experience the life that God has created for us to know and to experience. And so if you prayed that prayer for the first time today, again, whether you're here in the room or whether you're watching online, do me a favor, take out your phone right now and text the word DIFFERENT to the number 94,000. That's DIFFERENT to 94,000. And what we'll do, there's some resources that we'd like to give to you. We wanna get you connected. If you're here local, we wanna get you connected here at the summit. If you live in another part of the country or even around the world, we want to help get you connected to a life-giving church in your area so that you can um, walk this thing out with other believers because we're created to do this together. And so we want to do that. Uh, and so again, just text different to 94,000 and we'll, we'll get in contact with you. Um, and thank you so much guys uh, for being with us this morning. Thank you for sticking with me and thank you for the privilege that I've had to to be a part of this today with you. I hope that God uses it. It's helpful to you. Um, we don't have to rush. We don't have to hurry. There's only one thing that's important, uh, and that's Him. And so, um, God bless you. I love you. Have a great week. <laughs>